You're listening to Peerless Industry Radio, your source for educational content on the cutting edge of industrial process solutions. In today's episode, we will be developing an understanding about considerations to keep in mind when navigating the world of specifications as they relate to valves. Before we get into the episode, this podcast is produced by Peerless Inc., a company defined by more than the products we supply. Based in Western New York and serving customers around the country, we are an ISO 9001 certified organization in our quality management system, providing reliable on-time quotes and deliveries that supply our customers with the quick turnaround times they need. Expect our efficient service process to provide quality kits shipped directly to your facility with all the proper documentation for any compliance standard. Peerless also brings to the table 3D CAD and CAM services from our expert application engineering support team. We utilize advanced ERP and MRP systems for a streamlined and AML-friendly experience to every one of our clients. We are Peerless, where ideas meet solutions. I'm James Lamb, your host for today, and joining us will be Kevin Renaud, Vice President of Business Development here at Peerless, and a 15-year veteran of the company, with a diverse professional background spanning from management and sales to collegiate instruction. He's a core member of our team, knowledgeable on all things process components and the services they require. Also joining us this episode will be Dan Morgan, a Clarkson University mechanical engineering graduate who leads our engineering and quality management teams and has 11 years of experience upholding our services and products to the highest standard. In today's episode, we will be welcoming back Kevin and Dan to discuss with us what thoughts and considerations there are when selecting the right valve for the right application. Hey, James. Hey. Hey, guys. Hey, Dan. We're back. Hey, Dan, I see you finally got a haircut-ish. <laughs> there was some there was some feedback from the last one that uh, made it pretty apparent that it was yeah it was necessary. So well, my barber hasn't closed time. in a year. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, nice. So starting off the episode today, uh, what are some baseline areas of specifications to think about uh, when picking out the correct valve uh, for your needs? It's a good question, James. Um, first, it's important to state like what a, a basic valve is. There's so many great valve manufacturers globally that manufacture valves that do uh, one of three things, either stop flow, open flow, or control flow. Um, and valves work. I mean, they just do. Um, and they're all made, again, to certain standards. Here in the US, we use uh, API, which is American Petroleum Institute. Uh, they govern different aspects of the design of valves, uh, whether it's the wall thickness, the pressure class, uh, material designation, uh, the trim materials different things about fugitive emissions and materials. And I mean, it really, they design, it's all built to make sure that every manufacturer, when they build a class 800 valve, it's every bit uh, is a plug and play is every other manufacturer that builds a, a valve to that standard. So really that's the base level of, of really manufacturing a valve. So with those things in mind, what are some of the circumstances that would require you just to meet a standard or in other situations to go beyond that standard with what you have uh, in the valve. Right. Uh, this is where different levels of risk come into play. So if we're talking about a, a very low level of risk, I mean, naturally, wherever there's a valve in place, it, there naturally there's some pressure, uh, maybe some temperatures in there. So there's, it's always risky, uh, but there's certainly areas in systems where the risk goes up exponentially. And that would really lie in areas like a chemical plant, uh, power plant, oil and gas, um, something where 
if something leaks or if something explodes, uh, it's detrimental, not just a problem. So specifying engineers go to great lengths to uh, realize that the minimum accepted standards just aren't good enough. And what oftentimes it does is take a standard $40 or $100 valve and turns it into a $1,000 or a $1,500 valve because of the pedigree that's required. Um, but, but again, it's important to remember that these valves uh, live in areas that we like to call where people meet pipe, and it's a dangerous place to be. There's temperatures, again, pressures, and if anything should go wrong, again, cat catastrophic. So no amount overpaid for a valve that helped prevent uh, an accident, an injury, or worse uh, is too much. So that, that really is why they go to great lengths to make sure that they really uh, have a valve that's quite oftentimes over-specified. Um, and, and these specs can sometimes be literally hundreds and hundreds of pages. When you receive uh, a document of that length about a valve, uh, what does it look like and sort of how do you go about uh, approaching and understanding it? Uh, yeah, so hundreds of pages is not an exaggeration. Um, they're not all that long, but um, some of them are. Uh, so yeah, depending on the size, the, the location, severity of the service, uh, like Kevin mentioned, there's, you know, potential variety of different valves that a spec may apply to. Um, there's easily enough text and charts and references to, to span that much, uh, length and, and, you know, possibly even more. So, um, like Kevin was saying though, it's all, it's all in good faith. Um, sometimes it, you know, it feels like uh, the intent of the spec is to make your life miserable, um, to frustrate you. It's really not. It's, you know, there's a there's a process engineer, a safety engineer, reliability engineer on the other end of it, um, who really their, 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 their job is to, you know, mitigate the risk of any potential hazards of, you know, where those, those valves are installed. So, um, yeah, they're, uh, you know, no two specs are the same, but uh, they definitely follow a similar general um, flow. You know, there's uh, generally begin with some sort of scope um, outlining, you know, the details of the project or, you know, what the, what the spec applies to. Um, usually a section about additional references. And those are those industry standards that Kevin mentioned, like API and uh, ASME. Um, anything additional to the spec itself that might be referenced somewhere within it. Um, then there's usually a section, uh, with definitions that, you know, kind of describe the specific terms and what things mean to this specific end user. Um, so there's no interpretation that might be needed. Um, then it really starts to get into, to the meat of the situation, uh, where it starts to cover things like, um, what types of valves can be used in what services, um, you know, what are the material selections that uh, the different types of valves require um, based on, you know, where they're being installed and what services they're being installed into. Um, valve design itself. So in addition to like some of those standards, you know, ANSI B16.34, um, you know, there's other standards that, that need to be applied. Um, another common one is distinguishing between, you know, a forged or a cast valve. Um, NDE um, and any kind of additional testing, that's a huge part of it. Uh, very important. That's where that extra $1,000, $1,500 worth of testing or worth of cost really comes into play. Um, AMLs, so like approved manufacturers lists, um, tagging requirements, 
uh, supporting docs. Uh, it's a lot, but uh, yeah, those are those are all the things that 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 go into you know really defining you know how a valve needs to look and act um, and what it needs to come with uh, you know when it shows up at a project site. It does sound like a lot of information and a lot to kind of process and be responsible for. Um, with there being so much of that information around the details of a valve, who is responsible for being sure that what is described in that documentation lines up with the spec that you're requesting? There's a, yeah, there's a lot of people in the line of custody, um, you know, starting with the, the designer of the spec, the end user, um, engineering firms, equipment builders, packagers, contractors, distributors, the you know valve manufacturers themselves anywhere the 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 spec flows down to um all parties involved essentially share in the responsibility of ensuring uh that compliance so yeah it's a lot but you know if a valve spec does come across your desk and you're you're you know you're being asked to ensure compliance um you gotta you gotta read it um and i don't know if that's like an obvious thing to say um but you know, I think it's important to advise that uh, you know if a spec falls into your domain at any point in time, it's going to end up on a PO, it's going to end up on a contract. Um, you really got to get an understanding, uh, you know, of the spec and really some of the subtleties um, that might make a difference with you know what portions of the spec are applicable to different portions of the project. Um, a lot of times, the further away you get from the source. Uh, the less and less information about how a particular valve is used becomes available or becomes known or becomes shared. So um, as a valve spec gets passed down, it's really important to kind of maintain that lineage and really express as much information, as much detail as you know about the valve, where it's going to be installed, what the service is like, what are the operating conditions um, to that next entity in the chain of custody, um, you know, to make sure that they're you know, reviewing the, the appropriate part of the spec. So um, I think the instinct sometimes is to, to skim, to try to just, you know, breeze through the document to only find the portions that, you know, you think are, are gonna apply to you or the, you know, the portion of valves that you're supplying. Um, but, you know, realistically, it's not, it's not written with your schedule in mind. So, um, there could be a clause that's buried somewhere in a paragraph in a, a section that you're not paying attention attention to um, that identifies a specific process condition of one specific valve that all of a sudden changes that commodity on the shelf, $150 valve to that $1,500 valve that Kevin talked about. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of due diligence that um, can be gathered to make sure that you're complying to what you've actually requested. And after seeing what requirements you have for a valve in uh, your own use, and while going through some of that documentation that we talked about that was provided, um, what are some types of tests that you can look for um, that will ensure that you're getting the quality of valve that you require? Yeah, Dan earlier mentioned NDE, and uh, what that is is non-destructive examination. So although these valves are all built to certain standards, um, where the risk is, is incredibly high, they, they want to go above and beyond. And that's where this, this concern of NDE comes into play. So um, for example, CMTRs or Certified Material Test Report typically shows the chemical makeup of any material 
um, and it's a lot traced by heat number. But oftentimes that's not good enough. They want what we call PMI or positive material identification. So they literally want uh, you take a, an analyzer, a handheld analyzer, you hold it up against a component and it spits out the chemical makeup or the recipe of that particular material. And you compare those readouts um, against known, again, ASTM standards for what material makes up stainless steel or what material, you know, you combine to make carbon steel. So um, they want that extra level of security as well. So that's one thing that's requested. And uh, again, um, failures cannot be tolerated. So they go to great lengths to make sure that the, the integrity of the actual body and, and bonnet of the valve is, is, is good. Um, so there's a more additional tests, uh, liquid dye penetrant, and mag particle inspection, those are both to identify surface layer or very, very subsurface layer um, cracks or fissures in a material. Um, really cool stuff to see too. If you ever want to YouTube about mag particle or liquid dye penetrant, it's really cool how they do this. Um, but there's also the extra level of ultrasonic and radiography where they actually look at the internal, not just the surface layer, um, but they can actually look at the valve itself. So um, that, that can really add some, some serious money. And this is really where most of the additional costs for these highly specified valves come into play. It's additional hydro testing, additional, you know, this and this, and it just starts to add up um, because no one normally makes a valve that has all of these properties to them. So I guess one thing that comes into mind is we had a spec, um, Dan and I worked on together not long ago, um, and there was, a, there was a, a call out for no welded on flanges. Uh, the manufacturer was not allowed to weld flanges on. So we went out for a quote, and we got a quote, a long-term factory lead time. We had no idea, we had never seen this before, where, where a manufacturer would factory order valves or build them to factory order and actually weld flanges on. So what happened is because they welded flanges on, it kicked off a whole new round of, of RT or X-ray. So every single valve now, because of the weld, had to be x-rayed to make sure that that weld um, was, was it's had great integrity and, and no stress um, and that would be okay. So that, that slowed the project down. We got through it. Um, it slowed the project down. Uh, there was additional expense, um, but um, that was just one of those pitfalls. And again, it's all about the NDE. These are, these are the things hiding in the shadows that can really, really get you if you're not aware of what, what you're looking for. Yeah, that's where... Um... That communication comes into play right like reviewing everything communicating um but another thing that that uh situation kind of reminds me to to maybe mention here is that uh so the extent of the rt so all the nde that you just described like most of the time somewhere within the spec there's a chart or a section or something that that lays out and a line by line, depending on the valve size, the valve material, um, the valve service, um, wherever it's being installed. Uh, but this section will call out the extent of the testing that's required. So um, you're selling 25 of one particular valve and this chart is telling you that you need PMI, um, but it tells you that you only need 10%. Uh, so, you know, what does that mean? You know, you got a, you got a PMI three valves. Uh, so 25 times 10% is 2.5. You got to round up to cover the requirement. So you're PMIing PMIing three valves. Um, it's important to look for those charts so that, you know, first of all, to do enough testing, but also not to do too much. Cause if you were to PMI, you know, all 25 of those valves, 
um, again, that's where, you know, the cost starts to build upon itself. So, um, yeah, definitely look out for those, uh, those sections. Sure. It sounds like that's a area of valve selection that can have a, a cost really pile up quickly. Um, if you're not careful with, uh, what you're doing and what you're selecting. So one of the goals of valve selection seems to be to mitigate that cost. Um, while ensuring quality and compliance to whatever standard you're trying to meet. Uh, what's an example of an aspect of valve design that can influence finding that sort of balance? You know, that's interesting. I guess um, the whole forged and cast conversation comes to mind because generally manufacturers will forge a valve up to one and a half or two inches. That's really the stopping point. Um, and at that point, cast valves take over. And the reason for that is, um, to make a forge valve, you're basically, if you think of a blacksmith uh, back in the old Westerners, pounding, pounding a horseshoe that's glowing orange on an anvil, um, and it's literally taking a piece of steel that you superheat and, and pound it into shape. So you're compressing the grain structure and making a very, a very strong, um, very high quality, durable product when you do that. Um, and on the other hand, you have a cast. And I think about if you're going to look at a blacksmith, I look at like a baker. So a caster or a, a, a foundry, you're literally pouring molten metal or a cake batter into a mold um, and running a series of, of treatments after the process. And you're, you end up with something that you end up having to finish machine. But because you cast that and because you've baked a cake in your life or two, James, right? Not your life or two, a cake or two. I, need, uh, I, didn't, um, I, didn't, I need lunch yet. So like right, throwing right. it down with the food references. Eat lunch like normal people. And <laughs> I wouldn't be worried about that. But um, as far as like a cake, you know, there's bubbles in it, right? And that's porosity. And a valve, that would be called porosity. And um, that can cause great, great problems down the road because it can make it more brittle and, and much more susceptible uh, for cracking. So, um, and to get back to your question, uh, some, some people will, will want you to lean towards a cast valve because they're generally less expensive, but quite often it's the cast valves that need all that extra layers of scrutiny because of the, their penchant to become, uh, to, to have more problems, uh, the porosity issues. So you may save on the valve itself, but after doing all, going through all the NDE that you need to, because it's a cast product, you, you totally um, derail any savings you may have had. So sometimes it's just better to go with a more expensive forge valve. Does that make sense? So with NDE tests, how do you know how many or to what degree they need to be done? Is that defined by the standard or the spec that you receive? It's defined by the spec that we receive. Yeah. Okay. And, and again, Dan, to your point earlier about the percentages, sometimes it's a line percentage. Like if you ordered a hundred valves, it's a percentage of those, but sometimes they're going to want a percentage of each lot of each valve. So mm. when, when they cook up these valves in the ovens or when they forge them, they stamp a number on them. So it might be, you know, this might be a, a lot tracing B46 and you might have six valves that are B47, eight valves that are B48. They might want a certain percentage of each one of those different lots tested. So that's, again, something you really need to look for in the, in the percentages that Dan was talking about. And the other thing is that, so, all right, this, the valve spec that you're looking at calls for PMI or calls for RT or whatever. You say, okay, I've got, you know, I've got a PMI procedure. I've got a PMI gun. I've, I've got a procedure for radiography. Um, so I can just do it and I'll be fine. But that's not always true. Uh, a lot of times there's actually a separate spec entirely that 
tells you exactly how the PMI or the RT or whatever NDE needs to be carried out to. So just because you have a, your own procedure or your own way of doing it um, doesn't always mean that you are you know, meeting the, the intent of the spec. Right. So if the source of the valve that you need uh, has to be from an approved manufacturer list or from a specific country of origin, um, how does that sort of influence your buying and selection process? Yeah, uh, you know, that's a fairly common common requirement. It's it's probably expected um, to be part of a valve specification for, you know, for most projects uh, to have an AML or a country of origin or both. Um, so, you know, take them one by one. So AVL, AML, that's an approved manufacturer's approved vendors list. Um, and really it's a, yeah, it's a concise list of manufacturers that, you know, have been selected uh, to be able to be allowed to provide components to, you know, whoever created that list to the approver. Um, so the manufacturers usually have to go through, you know, some sort of pre-qualification, uh, procedure, you know, it's a, a quality assessment. It's, it's an audit, it's witness testing, um, you know, past performance reviews, um, you know, all those things that, you know, manufacturers can do to prove um, you know, that they make a, a, a product that's good enough to meet the requirements that they have a track record of doing it. Um, so yeah, when, when they have a list like that, it's, it's because they put in the work, um, on the front end to, you know, meticulously, you know, inspect these manufacturers credentials and processes and products, um, that they want to be able to leverage all that work that went into it and, you know, ultimately, you know, minimize the, Know, the potential risks um, by dealing with a manufacturer that they've already got experience and, and a good track record with. So um, AVLs can, you know, only be applicable to, you know, high, uh, you know, high spec critical components like, you know, motors or control valves or transmitters. Um, but, you know, there's other times where it can also, you know, come down to literally every last nut and bolt. Um, that gets installed on a, on a piece of equipment. With uh, country of origin, that of course means where, you know, where the valve come from, where, where it was made. Uh, but with like everything else, it, that can be a little tricky and have some caveats because um, the definition of the word origin is not always the same. Mm. So it seems simple enough, right? You know, what, where did it come from? Okay. There can only be one place, right? Um, but the interpretation of that word can be different from end user to end user. So, you know, depending on who you ask and depending on who's asking for it, um, it can change. So, uh, you know, in some cases it, it can just be as simple as, you know, where did the last major uh, transformation happen? So where was the valve assembled and tested basically? Um, you know, other times it, it it's about where, you know, the main pressure containing components are made. So where are they forged? Where are they cast? Um, where the cake was made. Where the, what bakery did that thing come from? <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. So it can be that. And, you know, it can even get, get down as, you know, as granular as, you know, where the raw billet came from. So again, it's important to, to ask the question, um, to make sure that you understand that definition um, from one spec to the next.
So uh, overcoming hurdles like that, um, once you have found the right valve for your application, uh, what type of documentation can you expect to need to provide to prove to someone that the valve you have selected meets all the requirements and standards of your use? Yep. Uh, the word proof, uh, what, what you just said there is that's it. That's everything. Um, you can't just say, uh, oh, yeah, it's good. It's good. Trust me, we got it. Um, doesn't really work like that. Um, we like to uh, say in our in our very, very salesy way that you're not actually paying for the valve itself, but uh, you're paying for the, you know, the stack of paper that comes with it. So a valve can become a paperweight. Um, real easily if uh, it doesn't have that that stack of documents, that package along with it that that shows its its pedigree. Um, so, you know, what do those look like? Uh, I guess it, you know, it depends on, on on what tests and what documentation that's required in the spec. But, you know, in most cases, if you're if you're performing a test, um, you're going to need to produce some sort of certificate or report um, that shows the result of that test. Um, and always, 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 there needs to be a, a level of traceability that links that piece of paper back to the physical product. So um, whether that's a serial number, a lot number, um, a heat number, uh, it's a common term. Um, so basically in you know 10 years from now, in, in 50 years from now, when there's a, a robot working its way down the pipeline and it uh, detects a leak. It uh, knows exactly who to, who to call to, to figure out what went wrong. There's some good examples of things that we can keep a lookout for, for um, what you need to prove the pedigree of your valve. Um, what are some of the specifics that you encounter um, in valve specification that may not be able to be done or that like may have another requirement that conflicts in uh, the desired valve. Yep, uh, that's that's a big part of the review process. Um, so not to like frame it in a negative way, but um, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not about everything you can do uh, to meet the spec, but more so important to identify the things you can't do um, and to identify those those things because a lot of times the spec is written in a way um, that maybe doesn't, you know, keep in mind some of the realities of, you know, real world commercial viability. Um, so, you know, the designers of the spec are creating these requirements with their focus in mind, which is, like we say, uh, you know, making sure that it's ultimately safe and asking for all the things that they think they need to, you know, ideally get a product that meets the demands. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of like we outlined earlier about, you know, AMLs and COOs potentially conflicting. Um, there are those situations that come up um, where either a product doesn't exist as it's written or where two sections of a spec kind of contradict one another. So um, when that happens, and Kevin, you, we were talking about this the other day when we were looking at one and you, you came up with some sort of food analogy and I can't remember what it was. But I was basically saying like, if I'm selling you a pizza and you want a bunch of stuff on it and for whatever reason, I just can't put pepperoni on it. I just got to tell you that, right? I can't put pepperoni on this pizza, but you can have everything else. That's so, what it was. But it's important mm. that I tell you that um, before you get it, 
and then you're upset and now it's trouble. So real quick, exactly. two, two other examples of that real recently, um, both of these happened where a customer wanted a Teflon packing and a fire in, in a fire safe valve. In this particular manufacturer, there's no way they can make a fire safe valve with Teflon packing. It had to be graphite. So it was okay, but we just had to make sure we pointed that out right away. And there's another one where they, they needed a piston check valve and it said spring, yes or no, no. Then it said spring material, 316 stainless. Hmm. So what is it? Do you want the spring or not? So again, right. it's just that clarifying, making sure that you're upfront and clarifying it right <clears throat> at the front end of this conversation before it's installed on a piece of equipment and you're having the argument. Yes, and it's actually like, most of the time it's expected that you're going to be taking exceptions and you know the 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 valve spec might even come along with a specific form that you need to use to fill out to to detail all of your exceptions so it's a it, it's part of the process it's part of the expectation so yeah again it's it's about you know doing your best to identify call it out and you know work through that process of uh either get, gaining acceptance or, or troubleshooting Sounds like communication is key when trying to uh, gain a sort of compliance that you need. Absolutely. Yep. Well, that was certainly a comprehensive look at what considerations should be made and thoughts to have when selecting the right valve. Uh, to wrap things up with this episode, uh, if you were to suggest one aspect of what we talked about today for potential valve selectors to keep at the forefront of their attention, um, when seeking out the right valve, what would stand out to you? Wow. I guess first, um, you mentioned it was a comprehensive review and it, it was about the topics we covered, but there is so much more here. My suggestion would be to um, find a trusted partner that you, you, that you work with um, and get them involved with earlier in the process rather than later, because a lot of these specifications sometimes cover valves that maybe aren't commercially available. I mean, anything can be drawn up in a spec, but at the end of the day, can it be sourced and can be sourced to the specification and in the time that it needs delivered. So the earlier you can get your, your trusted partner involved with these projects, the, the better off you'll be. We, we certainly appreciate when we're involved earlier rather than later. So that's a great point, Kevin. Thank you for adding that. Thanks. Uh, so yeah, the one thing that I would maybe want someone to take away is that you do, you know, need to have, have some respect for the spec. You gotta, you know, you gotta read, you gotta read it and you gotta understand it. Um, you gotta, you know, do your due diligence, put in the work, um, and make sure that you're, you know, communicating what you can and can't do. Um, and you know what, just have fun with it. Well, thank you both for your insight and for, uh, sticking with us today. Um, that'll wrap up this episode of Peerless Industry Radio. Thanks for joining. Thanks. Thanks. See you guys next time. This concludes today's episode of Peerless Industry Radio. We hope you've gained a starting perspective on valve specifications. I've been your host, James Lamb, and the speakers this episode have been Kevin Renaud and Dan Morgan. To learn more information about what was covered in today's show, see the description accompanying this recording for any links to additional materials. If you are listening to the audio version of this podcast and want to engage with us more online, check out the Peerless Inc. YouTube channel, where you can see as well as hear any future productions. If you have any questions or comments, be sure to reach out and contact us through our website or on any social media platform. Your feedback is very important to us. From everyone here at Peerless, thanks for listening. 
and we will see you next time on Peerless Industry Radio.